You're listening to Now You've Seen It, the podcast that endeavors to fill the holes in your essential movie viewing. Here's your host, Paul Gisby. Hello, and welcome to Now You've Seen It. I'm Paul Gisby, your host for today. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the sci-fi classic Blade Runner from Ridley Scott. I'm very glad to say that I'm joined today by two of our resident panelists. We have Cass from the Good Idea podcast. Hi, Cass. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Currently being lashed by Storm Kira in the UK, but uh, uh, we're, we're okay. We've survived so far. And our second panelist is Peter, hailing from the Maritime Sub City. Peter is a musician, photographer, Photoshop whiz. Uh, he's produced the theme music for the Overcast podcast, was host of two different app review podcasts, and he made the logo for this show. Welcome, Peter. Hello. So if you've not heard the show before, the premise is that we invite a guest onto the show. That guest picks a movie from our list of classic movies, and it has to be a movie they've not seen before. They watch the movie, and then they come and talk to us. So I'm very glad to be able to welcome today our guest, Christy Norman, who is a co-host and producer of two podcasts, Killer Fun, which explores the intersection of crime and entertainment, and The Mountains and the Sea, which reviews the vast work of prints and finds a high and a low in each episode. Christy says that podcasting is the best birthday gift she ever got. So a big NYSI welcome to Christy. Hello, I'm glad to be here. And we're very, very glad to, to have you. And I'm also particularly glad that you've chosen this movie, but uh, more of that later. So first off, Christy, big movie fan? Uh, I do like movies. I, I don't see as many as I'd like, but it's just life gets busy. But I do enjoy movies and I like catching up on movies that I missed. Mm -hmm. And this one I missed because mm -hmm. I was five when it came out. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. That, is, that, is that a good enough excuse, guys? Because it's been around. You know. <laughs> so when you saw it, why did you pick it? Was it one of the ones that you thought, actually, you'd always wanted to catch up with? or? Um, well, actually, uh, in my Prince podcast, we've been talking a lot about 1999 recently because there was just a super deluxe version of that album that just came out like in last November. Mm. And the photographer that Prince worked with for the 1999 promotional materials, Alan Blue, said that a lot of the photography that they used was the aesthetic for it was informed by Blade Runner. And I thought, right. oh, well, that's interesting. I'd like to see some of that. And mm -hmm. there's been a lot of talk in Prince circles for a long time that this movie was a big influence on him, particularly for 1999. So I did some looking and the movie didn't come out until June. And a lot of the material for that album was recorded prior to that, but it was a Warner brothers property and Warner brothers is who Prince worked for. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he may have seen the movie prior to its release. There were, in the, I think in March of 82 was when they started showing like previews of that movie, like advanced screenings of the movie, not mm. just like previews, but advanced screenings. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that he uh, had seen the movie and that may have had some influence on him as far as recording that music went. Yeah. So I thought I really wanted to 
see that. And even if it didn't have an influence on the recording, similar themes were kind of top of mind for him at this time. And so I thought, well, I need to see what influenced at minimum the photography and possibly even some of the music. Excellent. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break now, but when we get back, we'll be looking forward to hearing what you thought then when you finally saw it. Okay. Hey, Michelle. Yeah. Let's get this uh, promo recorded before the kids run in. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Dino. And Michelle. And we're here with Hub Podcast. We've had a few small changes, but we're still here giving you talk about film, faith, family, TV, TV, whatever we feel like talking about. And what do we say? (laughs) Be decent to each other. other. Alright guys, you can catch us on Spotify, Anchor, Podbean, and all your favorite podcatchers. Okay, and we're back. And you're listening to Now You've Seen It, the movie podcast, where we look at movies that haven't been seen by our guests until now. We're just going to introduce our movie for today. We have one of our now famous spoof uh, trailers. The movie we're we're looking at today is Blade Runner. So let's just hear that, uh, that trailer to introduce us to the movie. In a world where corporations thought it would be keen to make androids that are indistinguishable from humans, as well as stronger, faster, and smarter. Then put them in dangerous conditions with no rights and treat them like disposable tools. Luckily, the corporations made them without emotions. Unluckily, the androids were smart enough to develop their own. And they're not happy campers to know that their fourth birthday is coming up. Starring President John Ryan Kimball from Air Force Patriot Games Fugitive One, Naver Lothos from Lady Hawk the Vampire Slayer, Lois Einhorn from that, that, that pet detective movie, Madison Driver from Splash Bill Volume 2, Admiral Escalante from Stand in Galactica, and Daryl and Daryl's brother Larry from the director of Alien, Prometheus, Alien Covenant, and other movies not featuring xenomorphs, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. <laughs> brilliant brilliant as always and i have to i have to say peter who is on the call is the author of these these spoof trailers so another Very good, good. yes nicely done peter thank you <laughs> okay when blade runner came out it didn't do that well actually uh it struggled a little bit at the box office and it it really didn't wasn't a hit with the uh the critics uh one of the things that people didn't like was the pace and one critic called it Blade Crawler because of that. <laughs> and and someone else called it sci-fi pornography. But as time <laughs> went on, people came to like it better, love it, in fact. And eventually it was it was described by many people as a seminal movie. And one critic even uh, described it as a visually remarkable, achingly human sci-fi masterpiece. So, Christy, where are you on that spectrum? Blade Crawler or sci-fi masterpiece? Um, I'm a little in between because I can really see how the themes in this were thought-provoking and how that might not have been something that people were super into in the early 80s. And it was at times really slow and a little campy and a little silly, but a lot of it is really thought-provoking and interesting and the ideas about how the replicants are treated and whether that's 
fair and right. I, I, I'm kind of in the middle. I can see mm-hmm. how people felt like it dragged a little bit. It's not a movie that I would actually tell my husband that I think he needs to watch because it's just so amazing and so thought provoking because he likes a little bit faster of a pace of a movie, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really interesting. And the more I thought about it and the more I looked into stuff, the more I appreciated what it was trying to say and how beautifully made it really was. Mm. Mm. When even though you hadn't seen it, did you know much about it beforehand? Because I mean, it's, it's widely not, talked about. Not really. I mean, I knew it had a Prince connection. I knew that it had Harrison Ford in it. Um, I knew that it was kind of sci-fi and futuristic. Mm. Mm. That was pretty much all. I it was. I was came into it kind of blind. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. So no expectations so you not really of of where they were met okay let's just check in with our panelists where where they they sit on that spectrum um Cass first Blade Runner for you um I actually really love Blade Runner and I I think it's great and I am I love that the bleakness the noir style um I do think it's very thought-provoking I love that aspect as well um, I do, I can see why some people wouldn't like it. It is slow. I don't mind that. <laughs> um, but I get why some people didn't like it, especially in the early 80s, uh, and that there's nothing else really like it. Mm-hmm. Peter, where are you on Blade Runner? Well, if we remember that we did 2001 on the last episode we did together, this was like a Looney Tunes cartoon <laughs> compared to Speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 but saying that, it, it is. It has its slow bits in it, and like like I've said before, this is like the original things to prove that they can do things that look real. Mm. So the long shots of Los Angeles with all those explosions of gas, I guess, over it. Yeah. It's just yeah. no one had seen that before, so they they sort of sort of milked it for all it was worth. Yeah, yeah. He really Scott is actually from he's from the northeast of England, and he based some of that imagery on uh, where he used to live because he he lived near where there were some chemical plants um, that did that, and I used to work on those chemical plants. So when I, when I saw that, I thought, Oh yeah, I, I could see where he, he got that, that from. Sorry, Christy, you going to say, no, it was fine. I was just going to say a lot of it was done with practical effects. And I thought it was extremely well done, really very pretty. But my 15 year old watched part of it with me and he was like, wow, the special effects are really great for 1982. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Christy, what, what, when you go to see a movie, what, what, what do you look for? What's, what's, what's in a good movie, and how does this one measure up then, more specifically mm. to that? I just, I really like a good story. Um, I mean, I, I like excitement or, um, you know, something unusual in it, but I really don't really care. I don't care if it's animated or, which is something I see a lot of with children, <laughs> um, or you know, live action or whatever. I just want a really good story. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if it's um, dark or light, just something that's really powerful. Get you in the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. 
And so this one didn't didn't quite measure up then in all the ways. Um, it, it did. I I enjoyed it. I didn't. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it, but it was. I wish it had gone a little, either a little further with talking about the treatment of the replicants, or if it had uh, been a little just a little bit deeper of a story some somewhere we got like a top level and i know there's a lot of stuff working underneath the surface but none of it's clear and a lot of it's up for contention even among ridley scott and harrison ford Mm -hmm. you know they they have some disagreements about what's really going on with the character of decker and even still evidently so it's kind of I, I liked it. It was, it had a lot of, I wish it had gone a little bit d- deeper into one person's story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah. That brings up the thing that there's like four or five different cuts of, of this movie. including okay. One that's really noir with Harrison Ford doing a, a narration over top of it. So there are, are cuts of this movie where there is more information that sort of explains things that are in the final cut of the movie, why happened like the uh, uh, Edward James almost leaving that, that unicorn at the end scene. Yeah. Yeah. Explained because Mm -hmm. there is a unicorn vision earlier on in an an earlier or not an, not an earlier cut, but another cut of the movie. Yeah. Because, Yeah, and there was also some some uh, interference from the from the studio where they yeah. made made them do do changes because we have notes about this that that's confusing or or so it, it's there is more to it, but it's like you have to watch it like six different times with six different <laughs> versions to get the whole story. Yeah. Which version did you see, um, Christy? Did you see the one with, with the Harrison Ford narration? No, I didn't. I saw the final cut version of it. I borrowed right. a right. the movie from a friend of mine and they had the anniversary super deluxe edition and mm. everything I read said, watch the final cut version. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's what I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to declare my position. This is in my top 10 movies. I think this is a oh, gorgeous really? movie. I could watch yeah. it over mm-hmm. and over. It's interesting you mentioned about the narration bit uh, because um, apparently the the for Harrison Ford does not have fond memories of this movie. <laughs> he, he didn't get on. He didn't get on very well with Ridley Scott. They fell out quite a lot. Although later on, they apparently they've they've now got a very strong relationship. Um, but when Ford is asked what does he remember about it, he says all he can remember is those goddamn voiceovers because they made him come back and do them. And he hated them so much that it's ingrained in his his brain, which is a bit weird because, I mean, it's just a bit of voiceover. But, um, yeah, but he really hated it. Harrison Ford. It, yeah, well, okay. Grumpy old man from way back. <laughs> he mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> He's been a grumpy old man since he was a young man. Mm. Mm. And still, so, we watch his movies. Yeah. So, Cass, I mean, it's it's one of your favorites. So, you, you you don't have a problem with the with the the sort of depth of the story and stuff. Uh no. And maybe it is because I've seen every version of it. Mm. Um, so you get to see all the different pieces and put it all together. Um, but no, I, I actually like it. Um, 
I don't have a problem with the depth of it. I uh, I liked that you could think about it, like make up your own story a little bit for some of it that wasn't explained. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you take in the sequel, then you get more story as well. Yeah, although actually, I thought the <laughs> I saw the the, the the sequel. I thought the story was weaker on that than in the first one. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's uh, that, that's that, that's just how it goes. And and I personally, I have to say. I like the fact that it leaves leaves a lot of it up to your imagination. And so these, there are a lot of brooding scenes where not a lot happens and people are looking significantly into the distance or whatever. Um, so it's, it's up to you to sort of add it in. I suppose because I quite like that kind of movie. That's why it mm-hmm. appealed to me. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the, the design then. Um, I think we've we've basically touched on that. I think Christy, you said it, you thought it was it was beautiful. But just just give us a little bit more then on 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 the visuals. And your impression of them? Um, it was very, as Cass mentioned, d- dark and noir. And I really liked that kind of aspect to it, the bleakness of it. And uh, I really liked also a lot of the l- little things that they put in there, that how dirty the city seemed. Los Angeles in 2019, of November of 2019, way rainier than I actually remember <laughs> it being. <laughs> And I was impressed that Coca-Cola and Budweiser were still a thing in 2019, <laughs> as was Atari. That was a big deal. But there are some things that I missed that evidently should be happening now, like flying cars and replicants and mm-hmm. pay video phones and bars um, <laughs> and advertising Zeppelins. That was, mm. I was, mm. I don't know what's going on with that lady the yeah, yeah. looking lady flying around but i didn't really care i thought she, i thought it was interesting and beautiful and really fit the whole theme and oddness of the movie yeah it made yeah. it it gave it a real futuristic feel yeah yeah i mean the, the actual cinematography it was it was shot in chiaroscuro which is a style the heavily contrasted style it was deliberately shot in that that form to get that that kind of thing the 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 sort of sci-fi bit modernistic bit um and often sci-fi movies they date really badly because when they come out it seems Mm -hmm. all sort of futuristic and then later on it just seems really clunky and stupid and then other movies okay they don't exactly predict the future but nonetheless you can forgive it because it's a version of the future that maybe we didn't we didn't accept you know didn't go down we went another way do you think it's dated or is it uh, does it still work? Oh, I think it still works. It feels very alternate universe to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. That's a different timeline than we're in. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if it was intended to be a different timeline. You know, I mean, I don't know if they were like sort of thinking this is what the world's going to be like in 2019 because they've been predicting flying cars since the Jetsons were on, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we don't have them yet, which is, you know, as an adult, I realized the wisdom that that is probably, (laughs) that we don't have those. If Amazon have their way, the sky is going to be filled with drones delivering parcels, <sighs> crashing into yeah. each other. So, yeah, my partner and I have endless arguments about that. She says it's going to happen any minute, and I say, nope, never going to happen. We'll see. But so this, this, that, that sort of feel and the, and the sci-fi, uh, uh, the sort of futuristic element of it, uh, Peter and Cass, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Does it still work for you? Yeah. Yeah, I think it works, definitely. 
Um, I agree. It does feel like it could be um, an alternate timeline where uh, we skewed off somewhere back to the mm. future two style, very similar to the Biff future. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> very yeah, dark yeah. and gritty. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I, I like the, um, the contrast. I think the, the, the contrast of the, the sort of ultra high tech and modern and slick, and then the, the sort of urban decay. You know, the um, uh, Sebastian lives in that apartment block and he's the only person there and it's leaking and falling apart. And the elevators still work, which is, is good, but everything else is, is, is pretty cranky. I, and I quite like that, that sense it gave of the, of the sort of decay and the, the, uh, the sort of contrast. Um, interesting that it sort of predicted a heavy, um, I, I guess it was Japanese, uh, influence on on U.S. society because it says it's Los Angeles, but it's but it's heavily heavily Japanese. Any thoughts yeah. on on that and how that obviously that's not not necessarily played through, has it? Like before that, you could get a lot of cheap stuff from Japan, so it was mm. selling a lot, and that was at the time that it was going from cheap stuff to high quality stuff. So yeah, it's probably just a a projection of where. It, where it would go not knowing that it would move from from japan to korea to the way it actually does so it, mm. it it's sort of it's also the uh similar to uh uh demolition man where mm. the, the that society was had a lot of eastern themes and and motifs to them yeah yeah, yeah. so um Favorite scene, Christy? Oh, my favorite scene. Um, I think right there at the end where you kind of, you see the Tyrell motto of more human than human lived out in mm. Roy. Mm. I, I really thought that that was so interesting because Roy didn't have to, you know, reach out and grab Deckard. He didn't. He could have let him fall. and. Yeah. It would have been totally on brand for everything we had seen from that character. And he kind of tapped into this humanity Mm. that maybe was lacking in Deckard. And of course, Mm. there's reasons why that might be. We'll come on to that. We'll come to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. But it was also him doing that is also a way for him, for Roy to leave something behind, someone to know what his final words were because the oh, his final yeah. words was all like it's all like tears in the in the rain no one will know about it so with deckard still alive someone even his enemy will uh were, would remember him he wouldn't be forgotten see there's That's... deep stuff in here you just have to look really hard for it yeah cass what what uh what what's your favorite scene um Rewatching it again, one of my favorite scenes that I don't think it's really talked about too much is the scene with um, Roy and Pris when they are manipulating Sebastian. And it mm. really stands out as a human thing to do more than a replicant thing. And it, it made me think of more human than human. Same mm. thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that is a good scene. You're right. You're right. Peter, do you have a favorite? I'm thinking maybe the eyeball thing oh, in the right. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there yeah. there was a an echo of that in the in the latest movie where 
the guy goes, "Oh, I made your eye eyeballs. I made your eyeballs." Hmm. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't have a particular favorite because I like so much of it. But one thing though that always sticks in my mind that bit at the beginning where we first see Deckard and he's sitting at the noodle bar that sticks in my mind because um after the movie came out a few years later um I got, was fortunate enough to spend some time working in Osaka in Japan and in Osaka I don't know if you've ever been there any of you um but the main railway station is on is on stilts it's it's one of these high level things uh, with um, sort of area underneath. And it's sort of like little alleyways that run underneath, but they're still very much exposed to the to the, the outside. Well, they're, they're outside, they're not indoors. And it does have um, uh, those tiny little noodle bar type things. You have this bar where there are only sort of four seats and people come up and they, and they, and they, uh, they get their noodles and eat them quickly and then move on. And then the first time I ever explored that area it was pouring with rain <laughs> i i didn't know about it at all i just wandered around here turned a corner and then i thought oh my goodness i am on the set of blade runner <laughs> and uh it, it was that was very well observed so uh, that was uh, okay um favorite actor best actor best performance i love daryl hannah's press i thought she was funny she she was human enough to see why Sebastian wasn't didn't suspect that she was a replicant, mm. even though he was a a designer of some kind having to do with the replicants. I can't remember exactly what he said his title was, but she was still just like odd enough to be to see that she wasn't quite human, but mm. she was still so interesting. Do you think she did those backflips herself? No, <laughs> though she did remind me of characters from other pop culture stuff. So I really, she sprayed on this mask at one point yeah. and that really reminded me of Watchmen from HBO because the main oh, character right. also sprays that on. So it really, I was like, oh, well this had to be where they got that from. And she also really, I think uh, the fifth element the character mm -hmm. of Lilu definitely seemed like they had some similarities just in right. their quirkiness and their athleticism and haircut. Yeah. And the haircut <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Uh, Cass favorite character. Uh, my favorite character I think was um, Rucker Howard's uh, Roy. Um, yeah. I thought he was, uh, you could tell that, like, you could see the craziness, but also the desperation. I thought was played really well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he was really good for me. And also, just the power, the sort yeah. of understated power in him. He, he, he really could see that he was, he was, he was something else. So, uh, yeah. But apparently, it was, it was one of his. In fact, I think it was his favorite role ever of all the movies he did. Uh, he liked that best. Peter, do you have a favorite? I, I sort of like. Sebastian, mm -hmm. mostly because he's Larry. <laughs> just, just waiting. They should have had like two, two more automatons there. His brothers, uh, Daryl and Daryl, just go. Hey, hey. And the the fact that you've got this 30, 40 year old guy playing a twenty five year old, mm. and th that also goes on with the the advanced aging of the the uh, nexuses 
Like yeah. he had the same thing. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that he caught on to Pris being a replicant before they said anything. Because like when after uh, the egg tossing thing, he goes, I knew it. I knew it. Mm. And he mm. didn't say anything about it. So, and and considering he was one of the top guys for a multinational company that has like a huge pyramid structure in Los Angeles, and he has to live in an abandoned apartment building mm-hmm. in downtown with leaky roofs and all that, he has good reason to be a little bit have feelings against the the corporation a bit. Mm. Do you don't think that was his choice though? They probably rather live there because he says something about about he's the only tenant and he, he he speaks affectionately about where he lives. Yeah, but he also seeing how the rest of the the Tyrell people live like like it's like working for working for Facebook or Google and having to live in a live in a flat someplace in the bad part of town. It's mm. like he he likes the place, but that doesn't mean he, d- he wouldn't want better for himself at some point. No, no. But certainly, yeah. if he'd been in, if he'd been inside the pyramid, then he uh, he maybe wouldn't have been um, as vulnerable as he was. But yeah, yeah. sorry, Cass, you were going to say? Oh, I was going to agree. I I think he definitely is somebody that does a lot of work and gets underpaid and uh, mm. not respected and doesn't get to live in the shiny castle. Yeah, probably because he doesn't complain. He gets taken advantage of and mm-hmm. just just sucks it up. Yeah, and, okay. And they 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 took his red swing line, and he would like it back, please. Thank you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's a stapler. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Harrison Ford. What did you think about his performance, Christy? You start. I think it um, it made sense. It was interesting because there's you know, controversy over who his character really is. And I think that you can watch it and see it both ways as far as whom he is or whom he is not. Mm. And that his kind of, what do I want to say? Almost reserved performance in a lot of ways. Yeah. Really like played to both of the, possibilities there Mm. like is he does he not have the emotions that he might otherwise should have or is he just somebody who is fed up with the situation Mm. Mm. so i thought it was interesting yeah peter cass what do you think about harrison ford um yeah I agree about the uh, emotionlessness. Like you could see it as he is a replicant or you could see it as he's very, he's seen it all on the job and he's hard boiled and um, nothing really affects him anymore. Um, So in that way, the performance is really good. Um, I know Harrison Ford thinks that he's human, his character Mm -hmm. anyway. So he's probably playing it that way. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I, I like to think of it more him being a replicant, at least in the first one. Mm. Peter? Yeah, like like Cass said, you can think of it two ways. If he is human and he was the top Blade Runner, sure, you're, he's, he's retiring 
replicants, but since they're so human-like, it it sort of messes with your mind, sort of like the uh, Clockwork Orange with the desensitizing type thing. Mm. And so he's basically going through PTSD. <laughs> or if you go with him being a replicant, it would sort of explain how in 2049, Jay has to go through through uh self tests after every every uh every encounter he has to make sure that he's still still working like hmm. if <laughs> if if Deckard was a replicant his reactions to this would probably be a update that they would put into the newer replicants in the newer movie mm. Mm. yeah I mean, I think I think certainly he does play bored and disillusioned very well, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and uh, and I can I can see how he, you know that's what he wanted to portray uh, because of because of uh, of what he'd seen. You know, he'd really, he'd really become embittered to 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 the world. I mean, it's 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 a fair it's a very low key performance, um, but I, I I I like it. I like I like seeing him. I mean, he does that very well. He's done. He's done it in lots of movies. It, it's uh, it's it's pretty much the same kind of of guy in Witness, um, yeah. Without without the, with a different kind of gun, you know. So, um, but he he does do it well, very well. So so I I like that bit. Um, all right, let's let's we've 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 talked about it, and I think you've all pretty much ex- expressed an opinion. But let's 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 call it out. Is Deckard a replicant? Yes, I think so. But mm. I think he's just like Rachel where he's been gifted memories or he's a new version that is lives longer. I think it's maybe a little bit of both where he's a newer version so that he has a longer lifespan, even though I think that uh, Tyrell, when he was talking to Roy um, lied about that Mm -hmm. because he tells Roy wants to live longer and Tyrell tells him they've been experimenting and they're unable to do it. And Mm. I think that that's maybe they're unable to update him to the point where he can live longer, but maybe I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that they can't make them live longer because the reason that they made them only live four years is because they start developing their own emotions. Mm. But I do. I think Harrison Ford is a replicant who's been "quote unquote" gifted memories, which explains the unicorn mm. that he saw in his dream. That's how his partner. I guess they kind of. You kind of thought of that other guy that was with him as his partner who made all mm. the origami stuff. That's how he knew that he had dreamed of a unicorn because it was a gifted memory. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Cass, replicant, human. Uh, I think replicant. I agreed with the the unicorn thing, and I do think um, Tyrell was lying, and uh, because uh, isn't Rachel made to have um, an infinite lifespan or however long it's supposed to be? It's not four years like the other ones, and I and right. uh, I, I agree. I do think he's a replicant and a new type of replicant, and that it's less detectable. You don't get the eye thing. Mm. Right. I mean, is, is is Rachel gonna live forever? Because isn't there that thing at the moment where I, I thought it was sort of left left 
open-ended you know she may have four years she may not does it is yeah i think it's supposed to be they didn't say type of thing yeah yeah, yeah. peter replicant or human i'm tending towards replicant and like with deckard's sort of assuming that it's not psd his uh not not connection uh opposite of extent connection to other people's emotions uh distance like that mm -hmm. would also the uh the scene where he wouldn't let right rachel leave sort of hit, hit he testing her if she could have emotions and him testing himself to see whether he has emotions as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's sort of a like a babushka doll type thing it's 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 subtext within subtext within subtext. Yeah, I mean, going back to the sort of depth, I think I think that's all they were trying to do. I think they, whether it was del deliberate or, or sort of semi-conscious or not, that they were they were just trying to leave a lot of things unsaid and and hope people would fill them in. And either if if you if you're of a mind that does fill those in, maybe it works for you. And if you want, no, actually, I want to I want it laid out a bit more. I want it, you know, be clear. Don't just don't be. Some people see that as lazy, but I don't. By leaving those gaps, then it wouldn't work for you. So, um, but the whole replicant human thing, one thing that it has done is it certainly kept interest in the moving going for for a lot longer. Because initially, when it when it first came out, um, when it came out, I wasn't five, Christy, so I, <laughs> I do I do remember it, and I actually saw it at the theatre. That it wasn't it wasn't talked about at all. No one mentioned it. It was only later on that it started to figure. And initially, Ridley Scott said, no, don't be ridiculous. And then he seemed to go along with it and sort of say, oh, well, actually, I was just saying that. Um, but it did have a really good, it was a really good technique for just keep re reigniting interest in the movie and then the, and then the, uh, the numerous different cuts of, of the movie that, uh, that explored it. So, okay, great, thank you. Well, um, well, we'll take a break now. When we come back, uh, we'll be doing a bit of having a bit of fun and then we'll be also well, uh, looking at rating the movie but uh, let's break now check out what's been going on with the pop culture cosmo show and the pcc multiverse the better that these marvel films do the higher the standards are going to be for not just other films in general but other marvel films also i think it's really hard to end a show with this many fans in a satisfying way that's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, and welcome back. You're listening to Now You've Seen It, and we're talking about Blade Runner. And we've just been discussing what we thought about the movie and the characters and the good bits we liked and the bits we didn't like. Uh, but now we'll, we'll just take a relax a little bit and, and have a little bit of fun. I've put together five trivia questions. Um, uh, there's no competition particularly, just, uh, as I say, a bit of fun and, and stimulate conversation. So first question is about the casting of Deckard. Uh, which of the following actors were not considered for the part of Deckard before Harrison Ford was cast? Robert Mitchum, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman, or Burt Reynolds, which were not considered? I want to say Robert Mitchum. Mm -hmm. Gene Hackman. 
Peter? I'm thinking Mitchum. Okay, it's a trick question. They were all considered. (laughs) Not only that, the original script, the original script writer wrote it with Robert Mitchum in mind. And apparently, I couldn't pick it up, but apparently the cadence of the the speech and the way it's structured is very much in line with, um, with Robert Mitchum. Unfortunately, they couldn't go with them because they didn't have the budget to have the the pants that went up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, they got a long way in discussions with Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman was Ridley Scott's favorite, but um, they had artistic differences, I think is the phrase, and Hoffman, uh, Hoffman yeah. walked away. Huh. They also apparently considered, uh, seriously, Tommy Lee Jones, Al Pacino, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ooh, quite a different movie there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it could I have been to interesting say, with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I mean, any of them would have worked as well as Harrison Ford. But no, I agree. But that's an interesting thought exercise to mm. think of him in there. Mm. Yep. yep. Okay, that's the second question. True or false, the Voigtkampf machine, which Peter referred to earlier, was based on a real device. True? False. For... Well, I'm thinking it's based on the polygraph machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's true. Oh, um, okay. it, it isn't based on the polygraph machine. Uh, it's actually based on... Um, it was never made, but it was a device that was described by Alan Turing. You know him from the Imitation mm-hmm. Game? Yeah. And actually, the machine itself was called the Imitation Game. He got this idea, uh, which would, would take the Turing test that bit further, and it was meant to be a way of distinguishing between AI and humans. So it hmm. was based on a real thing. Sounds like it could be useful now. Yeah. 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 Can we make one for fake news as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please. Mm. Question three. Did Blade Runner win any Oscars? No. No. Peter? No, but if it did, it would have been for visual effects. Okay, you get half a point uh, if, we were give, if we were giving <laughs> points. The answer is it won two. Oh. Best visual effects and cinematography. Oh, makes sense. Yeah, so it did do. Question four. In coming up with the overall design for the movie, um, Ridley Scott drew upon uh, several references and inspirations, including a painting from 1942. What was that painting? It's pretty famous. Uh, Picasso. I don't know which one. Yeah. Um, no, throw not, something not, out there. Not Picasso. Good guess. No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dali, maybe? That's what I was thinking. To- and surreal as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't Dali. Any more guesses for I reveal it? Think, think dark. Think, think sort of brooding. Think lonely. The scream? No. <laughs> Family no. circus? No, no. A bit more realistic, but also uh, a, a slightly weird. You're not going to get it. It was the Nighthawks by Edward Hopper. You know that one? Mm-mm. It's the people. Sure they're, they're sitting in a diner. It's late at oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Yeah, check it out. Once I, I mean, it's one of my favorite pictures because I love Edward Hopper. So maybe that's why I love Blade Runner because I'd already, I was already into Hopper. But yeah, 
take if you're not if you don't remember it, Christy, look it up because you'll yeah, you'll I will. recognize it as soon as you see it. It's uh, it's a diner. There are I think of three or four people sitting in it late at night. And They're you all... see it from outside, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So you're like you're looking in the window. Yeah. James, yeah. James Dean and and Marilyn Monroe in it. Or... <laughs> <laughs> that might be a I think those are spoofs, but yes. <laughs> it's been certainly the the used in lots of memes uh, since mm-hmm. then. But yeah, that was the one. And as soon as he said that, I thought, okay, I can see that. But apparently that was that was a big influence for him. And then final question, true or false? City speak, which is the language that Gaff and some of the others speak in the movie in uh, uh, in LA at the time, it was developed by uh, a couple of graduate students in the ancient and modern languages department at UCLA. True or false? True. True. Peter? Yeah, I, I thought just thought they were speaking Japanese. <laughs> well, it's false. <clears throat> um, it wasn't developed <laughs> by the ancient and modern languages department at UCLA because there is no department called that at UCLA. <clears throat> but it was actually developed by Edward James Olmos. The guy who plays Gaff. Oh, really? That's interesting. He developed, yeah, he he developed the language in researching his uh, his character, <clears throat> and it's a mixture of Spanish, German, Japanese, and some other languages. And you know the bit I was saying that I really liked in the Noodle Bar where he first comes across Deckard, mm-hmm. and he says something, and you can't really work out what he's you can't hear what he's saying, but you get the gist of it. But apparently, it was it's actually Hungarian, and what he what he actually says. And uh, bad language alert, horse dick, which apparently is the Hungarian for bullshit. <laughs> no way, you are the Blade Runner in Hungarian. Hmm. So there you go. Okay, so as I say, no prizes, which is a good job because I don't think any of you. <laughs> nope. I got a half a point. You did, Peter. So, okay, yeah, you maybe, you maybe, you win. All right. <clears throat> Good. Thank you for taking part in my little quiz. Let's get to the point where we we rate the movie. Now, the way we do this is we say, okay, if you had the chance to go and see the movie at a theater and you could pay anywhere between zero and $10, based upon how uh, much you thought about the movie, how much would you pay? So between naught and $10, Christy, what would you pay to see Blade Runner? I think... I would be a six dollar because I need a little bit of money left to be able to have some popcorn to get me through the slower bits. <laughs> okay, good answer, uh, Cass. Uh, I think I'm going to go with um, eight point five dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, eight dollars fifty cents. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. We do accept all credit cards. <laughs> Peter. I would go eight dollars if it was IMAX with high high uh, dynamic range. <laughs> okay, Otherwise, we'll give you that. We'll yeah. give you that. You can yeah, you can see it in the best possible situation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons for going to see it at the theater. I think rather than watching it on your phone and might even add the extra two bucks to get the butt butt kicker seats, the <laughs> one with the with the uh, boombox underneath. Okay, oh. you can have that. So you're going to go for ten dollars. No, eight. Eight, okay. Uh, well, because it's in my top ten, um, I am going to have to go for ten because I think mm-hmm. it's a fabulous mm-hmm. movie and, and I've watched it lots of times and I could watch it again. So I'm going to go for ten, which gives us an average uh, a fee of $8.13. So well done. 
that's super fair. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Well, thank you very much for uh, to everybody for for discussing Blade Runner today. I've certainly enjoyed uh, the conversation. I hope you have too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I just have a few closing remarks for our listeners. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talking about Blade Runner, and maybe it's inspired you to go and see it uh, if you haven't already, or go and see it again, watch it again if you have seen it before. If you have enjoyed the conversation, then please do the usual stuff. Subscribe, rate, and review. We'd really love you to do that. Uh, If you want to get in touch, you can email us at oraclepodcasts at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward stroke now you've seen it. You could support us on Patreon, and we really would appreciate if you did. That would be great. Uh, And you can find us at patreon.com forward stroke oraclepodcasts. And you can check out this and other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcasts.com. Our theme music is performed by Eric Hunt. Thank you, Eric. And we'd like to say a big thank you to our broadcasting partners at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. And with that, I'd just like to say thank you very much to Christy Norman, our guest. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. You've been a wonderful guest. And uh, thank you to our resident panellists, Cass and Peter. Thank you. Thank you. And from me, Paul Gisby, goodbye. Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com.